0: You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the beautiful sunny climes of Western Japan here on the first day of June 2022. And ding, 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 extra points if you are hard enough Hardcore enough of a Corbett reporteer to know that June 1st does indeed mark the birthday of the Corbett Report website. That's right. As you may or may not know, June 1st, 2007 was the official release date of the first episode of the Corbett Report podcast on Investigate 9-11. June 1st, 2007, which means today is the 15th birthday of the Corbett Report. Yay! Happy birthday to you. So... Uh, Thank you, first and foremost, for making this possible. I literally would not be sitting here today talking to you right now if it weren't for your support. Monetary, material, moral, and otherwise. Any other M-words you can think of. Again, I say this a lot, but it's because it is true. I couldn't do it without you guys. So thank you for making it possible. And I thought, in order to give something back, why not do a podcast? Specifically, episode 419 of The Corbett Report on... 15 things I've learned in 15 years of the Corbett Report. So these are just little tidbits, little insights, little slices of life, little things that I've learned along the way. Some of them deeply profound explorations of the depths of the human psyche. Other things, just pithy little things that I've noticed along the way. I'll leave you to decide which is which and take what, take what's worth, uh, what, what's worth taking and leave the rest. Anyway, without further ado, let's get straight into it. Insight number one. People do not fundamentally change when they wake up. I think we often expect that people will change who they are, what they are, what they do at their most core level once they realize the conspiracy reality. Uh, I, don't, I think that's a misplaced belief. Certainly, uh, people might change the way that they look at the world, the, the, the things that they're doing, but I don't think they fundamentally change their personality the driven self-motivated go-getter solution-oriented kind of people are going to be that before and after tumbling down the rabbit hole and the people who just want to go along to get along just want a good time aren't interested in research those sorts of things that those sorts of things are not going to change just because you have encountered some information online don't expect it to insight number 2 almost no one is actually anti-war or actually pro-freedom and uh, I think that's not particularly surprising to me. But still, interesting to have observed in real time, nonetheless. Back in 2007, 2008, when I first started doing this, you will recall it was Bush and the neocons and their war of terror. And there was genuinely an anti-war movement at that time. But that magically evaporated in 2009. Suddenly, anti-war, schmanti war, whatever, who cares? Bomb Afghanistan, expanded into Pakistan... Let's, you know, we've got to keep up the occupation of Iraq. Let's move into Libya, Somalia, whatever. Just let the bombs rain. It's humanitarian love bombs. Responsibility to protect those people with the bombs that we're dropping on them. And now, of course, it's Libya-Schmibia. Who cares about the open-air slave markets? Whatever. Anyway, I, I suppose, again, that wasn't mind-blowing to discover. I probably suspected back in 2007-2008 that the anti-war movement wasn't really anti-war, but it still nonetheless was interesting to see. Um, similarly, people who espouse that, uh, the idea of freedom, oh I'm for freedom, sure, I'm against the vaccine mandates or what have you, in the right circumstances scratch the surface a little and most of those people will turn out to be hardcore anti-freedom Yes, of course we need rules and mandates and regulations on this. Of course we need it. Just as long as the good guy's in power. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Which leads, I think, to insight number three, which is people want to be ruled. People want to be ruled. And that's a hard one for me to wrap my mind around. Because I could get that, yeah, people who were saying they were anti-war weren't really anti-war and things like that. But I guess fundamentally, I don't want to be ruled. So it is strange... Still, for me to encounter people who genuinely want it, and I won't attempt to psychoanalyze them here today—what family background issues they have, or whatever—that has made them into the types of people that want to be ruled. But at any rate, they do exist, and there are there is a significant section of the public that really does just want a leader to tell them what to do, so that they can just go along and live their lives. All right, I'm going to attempt to reserve judgment on that mentality. But anyway, anyway, it is good to know that that exists in a large section of the public so that we can at least factor that into our planning for communities of attention or whatever else we have in mind for solutions in the future. Uh, number four, everyone's your best friend until you say something you, they disagree with. <laughs> and I've definitely encountered this one over the years. James, I love your work. I love what you do except, you know, that thing that you said about that. I can't, oh, I I don't think I can even listen to you anymore. (laughs) Uh, uh, Those are the funniest emails that I get is, man, I've loved your work. I've listened to you for years. I've listened to you since the beginning, man. (laughs) Probably not true. But anyway, all the emails start like that. And then dot, dot, dot but I can't believe you said this thing the other day. And <laughs> I'm left thinking, really, you've been, so you've been listening to me for how many years? And now the very first time you have ever even sought to say hello to me is to say, I can't believe you said that thing. <laughs> it's just not a human way of interacting, but it's the expected way online, unfortunately. Anyway, <laughs> so yes, I know I, I don't take effusive praise or effusive criticism seriously. I, I think both are not coming from a place of good faith. Um, so I... Take it with a grain of salt. Uh, Number five, most people think this, whatever you want to call it, the independent media space and the things that it's the points that are being raised in it, is a spectator sport. And the obvious, the the zenith of that that idea is, of course, the cue, uh, 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 the, the the refrain: just grab the popcorn, enjoy the show, guys. Oh yay! It's just a spectator sport. Just just enjoy the show. And of course, that is absolutely at base that is fundamentally what the corporate report has always been opposed to this is not a spectator sport do not just passively consume information on a screen and think that that's your contribution to the world you can change the world you can affect things going on at the very least in your life in your household in your community let's expand that out you can change things but you have to participate this is not a spectator sport Uh, Number six, people do not rationally arrive at conclusions uh, so much as they feel the right answer to things and then rationalize uh, those feelings after the fact. And this, uh, again, I'm sure this is not a profoundly new insight. I'm sure we've all seen or heard or experienced this before. But again, I've had a lot of experience dealing with this over the years. People who feel that they know the right answer and then, you know, detail schmetails. And uh, an obvious one that sticks out in my mind is the environmental uh, issues that are raised. Uh, you can talk till you're blue in the face and lay out all this data and, and talk about the problems with the carbon dioxide as the thermostat for the planet kind of argument that is you know the global warming nonsense. But people will be like, but James, just look at what humans are doing. It must be doing something to the planet, it must be doing something to the atmosphere. Well, okay, yes, but that's not an argument for carbon dioxide being a global thermostat, right? Which also leads into a sort of an adjunct to this, which is the, well, yeah, but even if that's not true, still, wouldn't it be good if we didn't use fossil fuels? All right, well, now you're kind of changing subject. Now you're implying that it's a good thing to lie in order to get to the real truth, or something along those lines. No, sorry, (laughs) that's not the truth movement that I signed up to. Let's, let's, let's go along with lies, as long as it leads to a conclusion that we like. <laughs> no, that's not how that works. Um, number seven. The more you learn, the less you know. And I, I, uh, I, I remember Johan Tengra brought this up in my conversation with him recently, where we were talking about this. The people who are the best-read, the most well-researched, who know the most about a given topic, are also the least likely to definitively say, this is this, and that is that, and that's it, that's all you need to know one pithy little statement that summarizes the whole thing no it's well okay there's this but then there's this over here that contradicts that and then this in, in this context it means this the more you know the more you understand that it the, the, the less you know essentially of course we've all heard that it's very true um, which is why I when I hear someone pounding their chest about I know this this is exactly how 9-11 went down or whatever they're saying Um, No, you don't know. And if you do know, it means you're in on the plot. So either way, I'm going to run away from you as fast as possible. But I think when people are chest-thumping like that, they are either deceiving themselves or they're deceiving you. Either way, I don't take them seriously. But the flip side of this, and and I think it's it's an adjunct to the previous point, but the next point is actually... uh, It sounds contradictory, but it isn't. When you do know something, when you genuinely do know something, you should be more... Confident about stating that thing clearly and openly, whatever people are going to say about you. And I, I, I now again, I have 15 years of hindsight here of seeing the things that I was trying to broach in 2007, 2008. That I know sounded crazy. It sounded insane, and I knew people were going to that. That's way too. You're being crazy, but I knew what what was coming. The transhumanism, the cashless society, all these things. No, no, no. You're crazy. That's not going to happen. And I. Uh, maybe I took too much of that on board and was too, too uh, couched what I was saying too much. No, I, I shouldn't, you know, obviously it could go a lot of different ways. But no, uh, now looking back, I see, I did see so much of this coming and I did try to warn about it, but I, maybe not hard enough and I should have been more confident in stating what I stated. So for example, I had the 2009 medical martial law episode where I laid it out. The quarantines, the the infrastructure for vaccine mandates, the PHEIC of the IHR, the WHO, all of these acronyms which I now know off by heart and hopefully, hopefully you do too. But I didn't say it stated enough. I didn't say it frequently enough. I wasn't the one sitting there on the 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 parapets blasting it out. Biosecurity's coming. The medical martial law states are right around the corner. Because that would have been crazy back in 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Suddenly 2020, it's the self-evident, plain, obvious truth that why didn't we see this coming all along? Well, some of us did. So now now I know to be absolutely 100%. I know the brain chip, transhuman, cashless cbdc social credit uh digital everything nightmare i know what is being slotted into place and i know the only deliberation that is going on at the highest echelons of power right now is how best to introduce the public to this the technology is already here it's just a question of how to roll it out so i i i know now not to even couch it or uh, you know oh i know this sounds crazy but blah 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 no this is what's coming they It already exists, and they are just working about how to introduce it to you. So I have to be more forceful about that. All right, uh, the next insight, number nine. There is a certain section of the public that is truly incapable of understanding satire, parody, or humor in general. And that's, that is a weird one for me, because, as you might have noticed, I have a sense of humor. Maybe you don't like my sense of humor, but at any rate, I do have one. And it's not forced, it is just part of me. I... I'm just like that in real life. I make jokes. I am sarcastic. I do. That's who I am. So of course it is reflected in the, the type of media that I create and everything else that I create. Um, but it is weird for me to get feedback from people who like literally didn't understand. You, you got that that thing was satire, right? I wasn't actually saying that, or or you you understand that was a parody, right? You do understand that was a joke, right? And that there are there genuinely are people who genuinely do not understand that. That to me is very strange. Again, I understand different people like different types of styles of comedy and what have you, but people who don't recognize comedy, that's weird to me. And then even beyond that, the people who do recognize that something is meant to be satirical, but don't understand what what is being satirized, who is the target of that satire, what is being said by that satire. Why would you say it that way? Are you making fun of those people? No, I'm making fun of those people. Like, do you understand? (laughs) Anyway, it's mind-boggling to me how utterly people are capable of missing the point, (laughs) but trust me, they are. (laughs) I get that kind of feedback all the time. Um, The next insight, number 10, the most important research, things that are vitally important to know can still become so dumbed down as they become well-known that they almost become useless or sometimes even counterproductive. Okay, case in point you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, 2030, right? We all know this is the Great Reset agenda. This, I mean, Klaus Schwab probably said that, right? There must be a clip of him saying that. Or maybe it was in his book or something. I don't know. I didn't read it. Whatever. Who cares, right? All I know is Great Reset equals you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Because I saw that one clip of that five-second clip from that World Economic Forum video with that stock footage actor smiling as the words go across the screen, right? So that's where it's from. I wonder who that guy is? I've actually seen people in the comment section wondering who that guy on screen is. That's, that's a stock footage actor. <laughs> Basic media literacy, people. <laughs> we have to do better than this. Anyway, so yeah, so what, wait, where did that phrase come from? What was the context? Who actually said that or wrote that? And where does it, can I read it? Where did it come from? What does it mean? What was the point of that? Again, I think it is an important concept and it is an important thing to understand, but it is more important probably to understand it in its actual context and what was being said and by whom and what relation they have to this whole World Economic Forum thing. And no, this isn't the Great Reset Agenda. And if we just simplify it down to that one phrase, we run into some problems. Like when people take Bill Gates, remember? At the TED Talk where he said he was going to kill people with vaccines or something like that. Anyway, I've seen the 20-second clip from that TED Talk. You know, he said, you know, vaccination goes up and population goes down. He anyway, he's talking about killing people with vaccines, right? Well That may be the agenda, (laughs) but I don't think that's what he was actually literally trying to communicate there. No, do we know the context of that and his citing of Hans Rosling and better health outcomes lead to families having fewer children because they're more confident in their ability to their children to survive and blah, blah, blah. At any rate, there is a sort of a bigger story to that. And when we simplify it down to something that is actually not what Bill Gates was intending to say, um, then then that's just red juicy red meat for the fact checkers. Actually, that's not what Bill Gates was saying. And and unfortunately, you will lose more people than you will win by pointing to things that are not technically accurate. So anyway, I, I think this is a big point. I think it's a particular pet peeve of mine. People who take things out of context don't understand, just go on catchphrases rather than actual understanding of issues. I know, It's a big hassle to actually read things or actually watch an entire lecture or something. But it needs to be done. Number 11. uh, I think following up to number 10 there. uh, Number 11. People get their news from headlines. And we are all guilty of this to some extent. I read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of headlines every day. I read dozens and dozens of articles, but I read hundreds of headlines. So... Unfortunately, there's a thing called source blindness, where you see or you read about something, you pick up some sort of fact, and then later on, when you're recalling that fact, you don't remember where you saw that, where, like, where, I forget where I heard that, but anyway, I know this thing. Unfortunately, we read a headline, we think we understand what that headline is, or we understand the context of it, we, we know what that story's about, we incorporate that as if it's a fact. Later on, we recall that as if it is a fact, Oh, I don't remember where I read it, but anyway, I know that this happened, and you might not know anything about the real story there. At the very least, I'm sure we've all had the experience of reading a a story, actually going and reading a story, and finding that the headline directly contradicts it, has nothing to do with it, is only tangentially related to the story, that the real story is buried way down deep, and the headline gets you to miss the point. We've all experienced that, but even... I mean, even the fact uh, uh, there are so many different ways in which you can be deceived by a headline or a headline is not the story. And the worst, worst, worst encapsulation of this problem is on places like Reddit, on the conspiracy subreddit. It's now literally just screenshots of twi- tweets. <laughs> and it's a screenshot of a tweet of a headline of an article. <laughs> so you don't even get a link to the article, let alone actually read it. You just see the, the headline or you just see a quote that's just taken from some passage from something. You don't know the context of it. And people are having entire conversations on that screenshot of a tweet and talking about it as if they know what that is about and they understand the whole story. And 99 times out of 100, when you go and actually, if you actually go and dig up the actual article or whatever is being discussed, you'll find, oh no, they're totally missing the point. This totally is being misrepresented. Anyway, I'm sure we've all encountered that. It's, it's a problem. It really is a, a, a huge problem. And it leads, I think, nicely into number 12, which is people absolutely judge books by their covers. And in the modern age, that means they judge videos by their thumbnails <laughs> and or t- titles. It's basically a title and a thumbnail image will determine people, what people, whether people click at all or what they think about a given video or podcast. And again, I speak from 15 years of experience on this. I know that it's so strange to me, but the title will, 99% of people will influence what they, the way they perceive what is the entire podcast. It doesn't matter if it's an hour long, deep dive exploration topic of something. It's just the title will influence the way they perceive it, what they think about, what they choose to respond to, the way that they respond to it. The people will react to the title. If the title is a question... Even if the actual podcast is, is, an, is an answer to that question or whatever it is, people will simply respond to the question in the title and disregard anything that was actually said in the podcast. Again, I have a lot of experience with this. And again, the thumbnail image can be the difference between something that gets uh, a few people to talk and you know, a few people watch and something that gets overwhelming attention. And that's, you know, that, you know obviously as a content creator, that's disappointing. Because I'd like to think it's the content that makes people interested. It's the content that people are responding to. No, it's the thumbnail and the headline. 99 times out of 100. But I'm looking for that 1 out of 100 people who actually care about the content. So (laughs) perhaps I'm self-selecting by not being as clickbaity as possible. Um, Number 13. You can't wake someone up who's pretending to be asleep. You might remember this inf- insight from Questions for Corbett number 65 on how do I wake up my friends and family, where I was talking about people who are saying, you know, I'm trying to get my brother interested in this, I'm trying to convince my coworker, whatever it is. Um, but they just, they, they don't, you know, they, they, they're not getting it. How do I wake them up? The real answer to this is it's not like they, they're not sleeping. They, they see what you are saying, they, they, they can see the data as well. And whatever mental gymnastics they're doing to dismiss that is in their head you cannot change what is happening in someone's head or the way that person is approaching this information you can't change that you can't be the you can't flip that switch for them if they don't want to see something they will not see it and going back to the earlier insight about people do not go by their feelings not their rational they don't rationally think their way into most of these deep complex phenomena They sort of feel them, and I don't... Oh, no, uh, I'm not going there. And any mental gymnastic pretzel knot twist they have to do in order to avoid that information, they will do. Because, again, they're pretending to be asleep. That's an important one. That's an important insight, not so much as it will help you to help wake up other people, but so that you don't take the onus upon yourself. It is my responsibility what happens in that person's head. No, 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 no. That... That's really bad, because it... Unfortunately, it, w- it will lead to heartache for people. I just, I can't get my my friend to see the truth, whatever it is. All right, uh, number 14. Everyone thinks that they are an expert at breaking down video evidence. And everyone is wrong about that. <laughs> and I have some, I again, I have some personal experience with this from my 15 years of doing this. One example of that is... When James Evan Palato came here to Japan to meet me in, he, in real life for the first time, first time we were meeting, I'd been doing the New World Next Week series with him for a decade. We'd known each other for a couple of years before that point. I talked to him more than I talked to my family back in Canada. I, he's a friend, and yet I'd never met him, never once met him in real life. So... Uh, as I wrote about in an article um, after, after Pilato went home, I wrote, Upon meeting a friend for the first time. Uh, and I, I noted in that article that me and Brock had a side bet when James Evan Pilato was coming over. Um, do you think he's taller or shorter than me? How, how, high, how tall do you think James Evan Pilato is? Because, of course, you can see him in his room there. You might have some idea of the scale, but you don't really know his actual height. And is he going to be tall? He looks like he could be one of those really lean, tall, pole kind of guys, right? But is he going to be how tall is he going to be? Anyway, so me and Brock had that side bet, and as I note in that article, well, we we found out, and the bet was settled. But I'm not going to tell you, and you don't know, because again, this is the, this is the nature of it. It is the digital. Uh, you think you well, you see me, but you don't know me. You don't. You don't see my actual physical corporeal body in real life. So there are certain things that you do not know about people even however well you know them digitally, right? Um, Anyway, I thought that was a profound philosophical point, but actually in the comments, a lot of people were arguing, yes, I know, I can tell, I can work out from the video exactly how tall Pilato is and how tall you are, and there were people who were doing these breakdowns of, okay, the bench that you're sitting on has a a back and it's about this high, so we can calculate then that Pilato is this tall. (laughs) There were these complicated trigonometry kind of things going on, and I can tell you every single thing that people were guesstimating and trying to speculate on and measure and calculating was wrong, and they arrived at the wrong conclusion, (laughs) but they were very confident about it. And (laughs) and so, anyway, I mean, literally, people were talking about things that they thought that they saw in the background of the video that weren't there, and then calculating heights based off of that and the way we were sitting in the video you couldn't see how close I was to the camera how far away I was or Pilato or where we were sitting whether we're sitting on an even surface or just basic things that you would need to know in order to even begin approximating heights but people were very confident about it because you feel like you know you I can see I can I kind of know you don't you really don't and people who work with photography and videography will know things like that but people who don't, don't. And the fact that they don't know what they don't know actually leads them to be way overconfident on things like that. Now, that's a trivial example. How high is Pilato? How tall is Corbett? Who cares, right? But when it gets into really important things, like the 2015 Paris attacks or something like that, people are analyzing and, and talking about things that they know that oh, this couldn't have happened because, look, uh, this grainy, out-of-focus, far-away cell phone camera footage shot in under street lamp light from 400 yards away. I can tell that's not the way the brains would explode if they were really shooting someone. So it's, it's a crisis actor. These kinds of, like, elaborate conclusions that people are certain about because they know what they're seeing. And I, I know you don't know what you're seeing. You really don't. So I think there's a profound point there. It goes beyond just sort of eyeballing things from video or photograph evidence into the sort of broader nature of digital mediated reality versus actual real reality. There is a difference and we sometimes are overconfident in what we think we know about the world from what we know through screens. That's a very dangerous thing. All right, and finally, number 15, the library of Alexandria is on fire. I know you know this by now because I've talked about it many, many times over the years, most obviously in my podcast episode on The Library of Alexandria is on Fire. (laughs) You might remember that podcast episode, right? Um, But yes, this is something I've been pointing out pretty much since the beginning of the Corbett Report. Uh, The possibility of digital censorship, the ministry of truth, all of this. I've obviously talked about it many, many years. And now what do we see? the US government, the Department of Homeland Security, literally coming out with what, not literally the Ministry of Truth, but Disinformation Governance Board. It's obvious. It's so obvious right now. Everyone knows it is happening. Everyone sees it as the transparent sham that it is, but it is happening. And real information is being destroyed every single day online. Everyone has seen this over the past couple of years. I used to be, I know this video exists. I can't find it now. I know this article is out there. I, no matter what search term I use, I can't bring it up. I don't know where it went. Yeah, the Library of Alexandria is on fire. Things are being destroyed even as we speak. This is a serious problem. And at least, at the very least, I guess the, the bright spot, this, the silver lining to the dark cloud, is that people are aware of this now. So now people are actually thinking about how to take steps to do something about that. And on that note... Of course, you will remember that I used to have the uh, Corbett Report data DVD archive in order to help preserve the Corbett Report information, at the very least, for posterity's sake. So some people might have some of these DVDs kicking around in their collection. You'll remember it was the actual data, the MP3, MP4, HTML files of every single podcast episode, every video, every article from each given year of the Corbett Report website was on this data DVD series um, that I was... I was selling until COVID-1984, and then suddenly I can't, I literally can't ship packages around the world anymore. I still can't ship packages even to my home and native land of Canada, so that ended rather abruptly, and now to this day, every single week I get two, three, four, sometimes more people every single week asking, do you still sell those data DVDs?" No, and so unfortunately I don't, but hey, it's the 15th anniversary, so let's do something special. Introducing... The Corporate Report Data Archive. Yes, let's get with the times. Not a data DVD, a flash drive, with a USB flash drive. You can stick in your device and download all of the data from each given year of the Corporate Report website, just like the data DVDs, but a USB drive, um, probably more convenient. And so uh, it, I am announcing this today. It is now available for sale at newworldnextweek.com and the way it's going to work similar to the data dvds each year will be on its own usb flash drive Uh, that will vary from five or six gigabytes up to i think 22 gigabytes or something depending on the year Um, some years got really crazy (laughs) but again every single video every article every uh, 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 interview podcast everything will be in data form on these thumb drives and in the best possible um, format that i have um, including the, the video files will be 720p if I have the 720p video file, so it will be the best possible quality of each thing that I have. Um, so, again, you can help preserve, if not the Library of Alexandria, at least the Corbett Report Library. Now, of course, let me state, as always, you do not have to buy anything. All of this data is 100% freely available for download. Please go and download it. I have zero problem with that. Please download it and spread it, pass it around. That's what it's for. Um, But if you want it in the convenient form of a USB flash drive, um, you can purchase these data archives. It won't look exactly like this. This is the the prototype model. The real ones are being manufactured and shipped as I speak. Um, But at any rate, uh, you can purchase them now through newworldnextweek.com. Again, it will be each year of the corporate report will be its uh, its own USB 2009 or 2010 or 2015 or 2018. So for example, if you get the 2018 flash drive, it will have uh, why? No, it'll have the World War I conspiracy and whatever else was released that year. 9-11 war games, whatever was released in 2018. Everything. The video, the audio, the podcasts, all of it. Um, and I'm going to be releasing them in a couple week increments. So for now, the, the one that is available is 2007-2008. The first year and a half of the Corbett Report podcast will be available on one USB drive. About six gigabytes of data. Literally, again, every single podcast, episode, interview, article, video, um up until December 31st of 2008 and then in a couple weeks I'll release 2009, a couple weeks 2010. So that's the way that's going to work and as always Corporate Report members can get 25% off using the coupon code that is at the bottom of every single Corporate Report subscriber newsletter. If you do not know about the coupon code or how to use it, please just contact me through the contact form. I'm happy to help you out with that. At any rate, a little something for the members Um, and that's going to do it for now for the first 15 years of doing the Corporate Report work. um, Again, I say some profound insights into human nature, some pithy things that I've noticed along the way. Just thought I'd share them, at least get the conversation going because I would like to hear, I know there are people in the audience who've been doing this long, long, long before I started. I know there are people who just woke up yesterday. I want to hear from you guys about things that you've noticed, insights that you've gained in your time in the conspiracy reality space and whether they comport with what I've said, whether they contradict what I've said, whether you have different insights altogether. Anyway, I think it's an interesting conversation to take these milestones as waypoints so that we can look back and collect our thoughts and move forward. Speaking of which, move forward into the next 15 years, 50 years, 500 years, I don't know, whatever. At any rate, the Corporate Report is still here and will persist as long as you are out there supporting it. Thank you once again for making this website possible. That's going to do it for today. James Corbett, Corbett CorbettReport.com. Looking forward to talking to you again in the near future.